chapter series. And if you take note that um, through this entire series, I've been talking about giving out, just obey, just serve, just connect, giving out. This morning, it's, it's totally opposite. This sermon is about just receiving. And as you receive, you can actually give out even more. Acts chapter 1, reading verses 6 to 9. So when they met together, these were the disciples, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They had different things on their mind than, than Jesus had. They're concerned about a militant operation here. But Jesus said to them, it's not for you to know. The times or dates the Father is set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and the cloud hid them from their sight. God, I pray this morning that your word would, in fact, be quick and powerful and mighty, that it would transform us and uh, everything about us, Lord, as we grapple and begin to uh, consider the work of the Holy Spirit, that we'd never see it as a ha- him as a has-been and once was, but we'd see the operation of the Holy Spirit and the power of it, of him, operational in our lives and in our church today. God, I pray for your leadership as I shared this morning. I need your anointing. Amen. You may be seated. Just received the Holy Spirit. My wife emailed me a a little article last week. It's entitled, Where I Have and Have Not Been. I've been in many places, but I've never been in cahoots. Apparently, you can't go there alone. You have to be in cahoots with someone. I've also never been incognito. I hear no one recognizes you there. I would like to go to conclusions, but you have to jump, and I'm too old and... and, uh, Not too much on physical activity any longer. I've also been in doubt. That's a sad place to go, and I try not to visit there too often. I've been inflexible, but only when it's very important to stand firm. Sometimes I'm incapable, and I go there more often as I'm getting older. One of my favorite places to be in is in suspense. It really gets the adrenaline flowing and pumps up the old heart. At my age, I need all the stimuli I can get. The places I have been. Each year we have a graduation banquet for the youth of our church. And it's tradition to read one of Dr. Seuss' books. It's entitled, Oh, the Places You Will Go. And in kind of a humorous way, we begin to bait and begin to give the journey away to the young people, say there's wonderful, marvelous places that you will go. The world is wide open. The doors are wide open. Go on your journey. There's a great journey to take. But one of the most adventurous and exciting journeys is the journey of the Christian life. Oh, the places that you will go. The experiences that you will have. Oh, the people that you'll meet. Oh, the miracles you will watch take place in other people's lives. And also the miracles you'll see take place in your own personal life. The supernatural will keep your heart racing with wonder and amazement. There really is no life quite like the Christian life. 
I've accepted Christ as my personal Savior in October of 1974. And after all these years later, it's still an amazing journey. It's still one that fills me with wonder. That God would touch my life. That God would would rescue me from the depths of despair. And put me on a train track, so to speak. And say, okay, my son, go places. Follow the tracks. I've got a plan and a purpose for your life. Last Sunday morning, Teen Challenge ministered. And I sat and listened to the powerful testimonies of the life-changing power of God. Once they were lost, but now they're found. And I sat there listening to their journey, the process. How could I not be excited about pastoring and hearing testimonies like that? How could I not accept be excited about pastoring a church and hearing incredible stories like that. It's exciting to be on the journey. And then in the afternoon, I, after the morning service last Sunday, came back for the singing Christmas tree practice in the afternoon. Again, another journey. We're heading for December, the beginning week of December. We're going to put on an incredible Outreach ministry all over again like we've done many, many years. I think since 1974 or 78, somewhere in there. A long time anyways. And the excitement builds up in my own life. Another opportunity to share the good news of Jesus. Getting ready, learning the lines, learning the notes, and do my very, very best to do the best I can to present Jesus Christ. How could I not be excited about the journey? I love the journey I'm on. I love to be part of what God is doing. I love what God is doing in our church. How could I not be excited about what God is doing today? Now, in our assembly, there's anticipation, there's a sense of excitement, and there's growth. See, there's no time to be bored. There's no time to sit idle. And this morning, if you're here and you're saying, well, my life is boring, can I say it this way? It's your own fault. If your Christian life is boring... It's no one else's fault but your own. Because that's the journey I'm on. The journey Jesus calls us to be on is exciting and exhilarating. The most exciting stories told on the face of this earth ought to be the Christians. There's no life quite like it. Now, let me tell you what will cut this exciting Christian adventure. What will cut it and chop it down to nothing. Let me tell you what will cause yawning in your Christian life? What will cause complacency? What will cause you to be bored? What will cause you to just warm a pew and just attend? What will cause you to slip into a religious system? What will cause a lack of desire to be involved in the church? What will cause your tongue to be silent when opportunities open up? Here it is. If you ever consider salvation as the end, you're finished. Now, we've all met people that came to faith in the Lord and they were excited. They were on fire, but just like that light bulb was put on with a switch, it also was turned off. And we wonder what happened to them. They faded out. We don't see them any longer. Something happened to their journey. They got bored. They stopped growing. They stopped learning. They stopped following the railroad tracks that God said, I put in front of you to go and follow. 
I mean, you can sit in an airport at a gate. You can sit in those chairs and be bored. Or you can be in the air flying around the world and be amazed. My grandmother in her 90s flew. And she I love it way up here. Looking at these lovely clouds, I said, Grandma, I hate flying. I don't like flying. It scares me. My father used to say, I hate it when it shivers. I hate it when it shivers. So that's a bad illustration for, you to give, for me to give you this morning. So let's move on to an, a more exhilarating illustration. Here's one. How about if you attend a nice theme park? I mean, you can, you can buy your, your tickets. You can make your journey, take your journey, and end up at the gate. You get your pass. You can walk in there, and you can look at all those lovely rides, those wonderful rides, and not get on one of them. Or you can buy your pass. And you consider this entry into this theme park as the beginning. And you jump on one of those rides and you scream in excitement. See, it's one thing just to buy a pass. The second thing to get involved and get in that journey that God wants you to go on. You'll be disappointed until you get on that nice roller coaster ride and scream with tears flowing down your cheeks and Almost think you're going to die. And then you say, I've got to do it again. i got to do it again. Gary and I went on one in Minneapolis. The first drop was 150 feet. We went on it 18 times in a row. Wow. Wow. I don't want just to get in the park. I want to ride the rides. I want the journey. Last Sunday, our singing Christmas tree Practice. We meet in the lower auditorium for sectional practices, and it's in a round circle where we meet. And I look across, and my wife is sitting on the other side. And I looked, and I said, "That's my wife." I mean, I should know that after 28 years, shouldn't I? Said, That's my wife. I had a pinch, but is she really my wife? You know, sometimes I just am amazed at her and who she is, and puts up with me and all these things. That's my wife. So I said, I'm going to stare with her, you know, stare at her just like, you know, in sixth grade or five, fifth grade, you, you're sitting in your school chair and you look over someone you kind of like, and you stare at them, they look, you look the other way. I riveted my eyes on her, but she didn't really notice that I was, maybe the pizzazz is gone. But so that's my wife. And not only do I like her, but I love her. And I told myself, yeah, you're amazed at marriage. You're amazed that she's your wife. And after all these years, she, she still loves you in spite of yourself. And I'm going to tell her that when I go home. And I did. You see, marriage is, is the beginning stages. I mean, when my wife became my wife at the altar, that was not the arrival stage. I mean, yeah, it was an important place to stand, but that was not... The end, but that was just the beginning. Marriage is where you ought to pick up speed. Years in should mean that you get to know each other better. Years in should mean that you can communicate a whole lot better. Years in should mean that you can, you can team up together and, and face the challenges and hard times. Years in should mean that two of you are surely better than one. Years in should mean that your relationship matures and it grows and you love each other more and more. Years in should mean that you have the most marvelous, incredible stories and journeys to share. I'll tell you when a marriage is over. A marriage is over when somebody considers the altar as the end. 
Oh, it's, then it's all downhill. They just relax. Everything just deteriorates. You got to see your marriage as just the beginning and you're going to keep on going and growing and growing and growing. Never let boredom set in. So as the book of Acts opens up for us, we read that Jesus is preparing his saints for his great departure. What's he saying? What he's saying is, when I leave, this is not the end. And he's saying, I don't want you to consider this to be the end. Don't look at it as the end. But rather, he was setting his disciples up and saying, this, I want you to see this as the great beginning. All the places you will go, the supernatural experiences you will have, the journey is about to take lift off. You're not sitting, sitting in an airport. You've departed. You're on the plane. A great destination awaits you. Notice what Jesus said earlier as he's preparing his disciples for his departure. John chapter 14, also in John chapter 16. He said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I'm not going to leave you without a counselor. But he said, I will send you the Holy Spirit. He was saying the exciting journey continues. Remember when he said, greater works than these shall you do. And we all, they're stunned by it. But Jesus, look what you've done. But Jesus, look at the miracles. But Jesus, look at those that are coming to faith. But Jesus, you're opening blind eyes. And you say, greater works than these shall you do. That certainly tells us that Jesus said, this is the beginning, not the end. When I leave, it's the beginning of greater things to come, greater miracles. Marvelous things can happen before your eyes when I'm gone. That's far from the end. Jesus said, continues. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 5, Jesus once again underlines the promise of the continuing journey. And he says, you'll be baptized in or with the Holy Spirit. Baptized means submerged. Baptized means a total covering. Baptized means every part of you is affected. Baptized means smothered. Baptized means, means drowning of self and flesh. Baptized means I surrender everything to you. Baptized means the journey continues. So I love water baptisms. I love to hear the testimonies. But I also love Holy Spirit baptisms. One is about Salvation and the other one is about power. Yes, I came to faith, but I now have been smothered or engulfed by the Holy Ghost. See, this was a baptism of firepower that Jesus was speaking of here. There's a global gospel mission to accomplish. In order for that to be accomplished, he was saying to his disciples, you need firepower. There are churches that need to be built. You've got to rescue the perishing. You've got to care for the dying. You've got to establish works. And if you're going to do that, you're going to need firepower. There's opposition. Do you think the enemy's going to take a back seat? you think he's going to rest back and say, okay, they're doing a great work? No, he's going to try and hamper and hinder everything you try to do. So there's going to be opposition. You need firepower. There's the victorious Christian life to live. Paul would end up in jail. Bars around him, chained to soldiers. If Paul is going to be successful, if Paul is going to be victorious, if Paul is going to keep from being down in the dungeons of despair, he's going to need firepower. 
Well, there's a faith to keep until you breathe your last breath. If you're going to keep the faith, you're going to need firepower. There's a legacy. I mean, at my age, I, I'm, not thinking about, I'm not thinking about dying yet, but at my age, I start thinking about dying. And I wonder, what kind of a legacy am I going to leave? So we're looking at that on Wednesday mornings at 7 o'clock. Men's prayer here at the church. Little plug. Legacy. What kind of a legacy am I going to leave behind? If I'm going to leave a good legacy, I got to have firepower. And then, just as Jesus said, it happened. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 1, they gathered together in anticipation and in excitement. Maybe it's like waiting for a concert to begin. You ever been to a concert? You look forward to it for many, many months. And the day arrives and you get to the auditorium and you sit down and there's a curtain or whatever in front of you. And you're waiting for the band to come on. And you're waiting. The butterfly. Oh, people. The air is electrified, isn't it? They bounce balls from each other and they're doing the wave of one side to the other. Everybody's all excited. We can't wait for the band. This is the kind of atmosphere they had in the second chapter of Acts. Filled with excitement, filled with anticipation, because they knew the promise was about to come. Like those little children getting the shoeboxes, Operation Christmas Child, and they're supposed to wait till everybody gets them, 144 of them. How could they wait? But if they waited, and some I'm sure peeked in beforehand, I won't say who they were. I don't even know. They would wait, and they'd say, that's anticipating, it's I'm excited about what is in the shoebox for me. This is what it was like in Acts chapter 2. And then it happened. They called upon God. They held a prayer meeting. They prayed for each other. And just as Jesus promised, the Holy Spirit came down. It was like the Holy Spirit plugged them into his current. They would never again be the same. They were filled with the Holy Ghost. He spoke in languages that they never knew. Peter begins to immediately start preaching. And I think Peter even amazed himself. What a way to continue the journey after being uh, denying Jesus. And he was kind of on a bad spot there for a while. He said, the journey is going to continue. God said, continue, Peter. Keep calling on me. And God fills him with his Holy Spirit. And Peter starts preaching. And I'm sure some of the other disciples were amazed at Peter. Peter stood up and boldly declared the good news of the Lord 3,000 people are saved. There was a new power. Wonders and miracles were happening and taking place. There was a brand new power. All those that were assembled together in that upper room, all they had to do was what? Just ask. Just receive. Just open up your heart. They would never again be the same, and the kingdom of God exploded in great advancement. Now, some say, well, this was God's great kickoff. God's great kickoff and to get the ball rolling, to get the gospel moving in the world, and that's all. I looked at a commentary this morning and before church, and they said it was just for that age, and then it was removed. Oh, I wanted to take a black marker and go right across my computer screen. <clears throat> Wrong. You got it wrong. It doesn't make any sense. That makes no sense to me whatsoever. 
that God would say, we're just going to inspire these guys and get them going, and then I'm going to pull back. That makes no sense. In my Bible, I read there's still an enemy. In my Bible, I read he's still firing darts at me. In my Bible, I read that he's still an accuser of the brethren. How many times has the enemy accused you? You're no good. You can't do anything. The church don't want you. You can't minister. You're defeated. You're no good. Oh, I'm depressed already. I've got to turn it around. God says, I've got great plans for you. I sent the Holy Spirit. He will come down. He'll be with you always. Some say that he just was for that moment. And we've been debating that ever since. The Acts chapter 2 promise fulfilled was not only a supernatural, sensational history hotspot for 120 believers, but for whosoever will may receive. These gospel messengers, they need a gas in their tank. And we ought to try, quit trying to understand it all. And we will never understand the total picture of it. But we will understand more and more as we receive. And Acts 2.39 not only says that the promise is for you and your children, but for all whom the Lord will call. God is no respecter of persons. It's for everyone. God is no respecter of generations. It's for every generation. Now... Let me share with you a sad scripture passage. I read this this past week, and that's the first thing that came to my mind was, this is very, very sad. Acts chapter 19, Paul travels to Ephesus, and he meets a group of 12. 12 men, they're they're new believers, and they made a confession of faith in the Lord. And, And I'm sure they began with a chat about the things of God. I mean, you know, Paul, he's always sharing what God has done. And maybe he just, when it felt like at that point, he wanted to talk about his Acts chapter 16, freedom from jail experience. And man, that must have been encouraging for those guys. Listening to Paul say, there was a localized earthquake and the jail flung wide open. All we did was sing praises to God. All we did was continue our faith journey in the midst of difficult times. And there was a miracle. Now, you know that as they're talking about the things of God, at some point, they got to the work and the personal work of the Holy Spirit. And Paul says this, since you believe, have you received the Holy Spirit? You know what they said? No. We have not so much as heard if there be a Holy Spirit. To me, that's a sad passage. Nobody preached it to them. Nobody explained it to them. No one told them about the personal work of the Spirit of God in their lives. We have not so much as heard. Is there a Holy Spirit? I'm 55 years of age, been in with the fellowship with the PAOC for a number of years. And I started looking back at some of the foundational things in my life and foundational things in our denomination. One of them is the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And being that I'm a little along now in years, I start looking back at some of the things I never want to see us lose. And that's an emphasis on the person and work of the Holy Spirit in today's generation. That somehow we think that we're sophisticated now. That somehow we're governed sometimes by other people that say, I don't believe that. 
And so because someone may not believe, we shy away from the power of the Holy Spirit that the Bible speaks about. That's one of my concerns as we get on in years as a fellowship. And it was great this past week for me to hear at our district conference that as we closed the conference, our district superintendent said, let us pursue the working of the Holy Spirit. I amen that. Because we must, we must continue with that emphasis on the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. We can't get away from it. It's not just part of our great history. If it's not a a part of our present, we won't have much of a future. It got us here and it's going to sustain us and have us grow. Oh, he wants to explode in your life. And when you give your heart to Christ, yeah, he comes in your life. We know that the Holy Spirit takes up residency in your life. But why just let him in the living room? When he wants to occupy the entire house, open up the door and say, come on in to the kitchen, the bedroom, the bathroom, the great room. Come into the lower auditorium, engulf my entire house because I need the Holy Spirit. Okay, so Acts 19, Paul said, you know, let's deal with this right now then. If you've never heard that there'd be a Holy Spirit, yeah, well, he's real. He's powerful, he's mighty. Let's deal with it. Laid hands upon the twelve. And they spoke in tongues. They began to prophesy. We don't know what they said, but we do know there was words of exhortation for sure. The gift of the Holy Spirit is just as much of a promise as salvation is. And Galatians 4 verse 5 tells us that we are, as Christians, we have been adopted into his family. And privileges come from being in the family of the Lord. All we have to do is just ask. Calvary Chapel is part of a denomination of the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada. Some 1,100 churches across Canada serving about 235,000 people. The PAOC, as we call it, began at the just after the turn of the century, probably the 1918 or so. It began in a prayer meeting. It didn't begin with religion. It didn't have its beginnings in an organization didn't begin with money or buildings. People just got together to call upon the Lord. They knew there was another experience. They knew the Holy Spirit was for today. And some went down to the United States and were baptized in the Holy Spirit, came back to Canada, shared it with others. And they said, have you probably said the same thing to them? Have you heard there's a Holy Spirit? Have you received since you believe? No, let's get together. Let's pray. Let's have a prayer meeting. Let's be filled with the anticipation and excitement, just like they had in Acts chapter 2. That's how we began. We were just hungry for the infilling of the Holy Spirit. We became a Holy Spirit movement. People started finding Christ. People were, people were on, so on fire for God that they leave those prayer meetings and they go and they share the faith boldly. They walk through open doors and people would come to faith and, okay, Come with us and join us in the fellowship. They join. And the church began to explode. That's when we discovered we needed to get organized. But we just wanted the Holy Spirit to completely engulf our lives. We were Pentecostals. Our name came from the Pentecostal experience in Acts chapter 2. 
Oh, I remember those days as a young boy when I was where Pentecostal was not popular. I tell people what church I go to. You go, where? The Pentecostal church. And then some had stories to share. They called us holy rollers. Oh, Gary, you're a holy roller. I didn't know what that meant as a young boy. And they'd say, oh, you're chandelier. I was starting to wake up to those things after a while when they started saying it so much. Oh, you're chandelier swingers. My line for that was, I never seen no chandeliers, probably because we got them all torn off. Too many people hanging from them, I don't know. And they said, well, you're pew jumpers. I do know there's an evangelist that used to travel the East called Jumpin' Johnny, but I wasn't quite sure what that meant. But all kinds of names for us as young Pentecostals, as I was. I've never done those things, and, and I want to say this this morning to you. If you do or if you see, those things are not a gauge. It doesn't tell you a level of spirituality. I remember someone saying to me one time, I don't care how high you jump as long as you can walk straight when you land. And that's about where it's at. But there's nothing wrong with a little life. I'm all for life. I'm all for advancement and growing. But we were, we're, I'm off on a different one. I've got to get back to this now. But we've gone on tangents sometimes and said, this is how we gauge spirituality. If you jump 50 feet, ho, ho, you're spiritual. Well, that's another sermon somewhere. I just want to tell you that that was our great heritage. That was our emphasis. And I still believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. I still believe in what He can do. And your life is good for anybody else's life. I still believe that if you're hungry and thirsty, He'll fill you. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is simple. Just receive. Just become as a little child, have a simplistic faith, open up your arms and just let him come in and fill you. Don't be in a rush. Just find a spot somewhere. It could be at an altar. It could be by your bedside. God, there's a promise. And I feel weak and I feel that, that I'm not really a conqueror and I need some power in my life. Start calling upon the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, fill me. Holy Spirit, engulf me. Holy Spirit, I need the baptism that was promised that they received in Acts chapter 2 that I can receive today. I'll never forget my experience. don't have time to go into it, but I was baptized in the Holy Spirit at camp meeting. Never again would I be the same. Immediately I felt God call me into the ministry. Here I am, such a shy, I was such a shy, introverted, keep-to-myself person, and I would oftentimes go off all by myself and God, you want me to be a pastor? You want me to stand in front of people? You want me to open my mouth? He said, yeah, when you stand there, you've got to say something. I want you to know that the power of the Holy Spirit transformed my life. Just opening up my heart to Him. Holy Spirit, come on in. Take every part of me. Oh, you want your journey to be exciting? Keep pursuing the Lord. Keep pursuing the Lord. There's so much that He has for you. Oh, the places I have been since I began my walk with the Lord. The places I have been, the experiences I have had, the miracles I have seen, 
the fellowship with the Holy Spirit, the doors that have been opened, the maturity that I've had. The Holy Spirit has not just kept me and gotten me through the rough times in life. And we all have them, the rough seasons. But he's actually enabled me to advance the kingdom of God. It's not just a, can I survive? But it's, can I advance? So my sermon this morning is entitled, Just Receive. It's simple. Just Receive. Luke chapter 11, verse 9 to 13. Would you stand with me? Jesus says these words not only to the present day people back then, but to our people today. So I say to you, to Gary, to everyone, put your name in there. I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you're evil or in the flesh, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give, get this, the Holy Spirit? To those who ask, to those who simply ask. And so God, I pray right now for those that might be here that maybe their Christian life has reached a stale spot. And maybe they're bordering on boredom. God, as we sang earlier, open up our eyes that we may see the most exhilarating stories ought to be the Christians. And the only way for it to be exhilarating is if we're growing, if we're maturing, if we're advancing. And God, you've given us a promise in your word that will empower us to do the Great Commission. It'll empower us to reach out beyond our own borders of of comfort zone borders. Just blow past them. And God, there's a great work to be done. Yes, there's many things that are being done. But God, there's greater things. So God, this morning, as we wrap up this series on the just factor, may just receive the Holy Spirit. If you're here this morning and you'd like to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, I encourage you to come to the front and our prayer teams, you can come at this time and they'll be ready to pray with you. Or maybe you're here and you say, I one time had that experience, but not today. See, we're like leaky vessels. We leak. We ought to constantly, we need to be filled up with the Holy Spirit. Then I invite you to come if you have a need this morning to be have that Holy Spirit experience. As Pastor Vern leads us in a song.